Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Well, hello and welcome to Point of Defense. I'm Reverend John Crawford, your host. Welcome back uh, to another broadcast here on the Preach the Word Worldwide Network TV. And uh, I'm very excited again to have back uh, my guest with me, Dr. Charlie Bing. He is back. Charles Bing. We call him Charlie sometimes too, right, Dr. Bing? That's right. And uh, uh, we are glad to have you back. We are discussing the subject of Lordship Salvation. And the title is The Truth About Lordship Salvation. And uh, we talked about how Lordship Salvation basically is someone, a lost sinner, before they get saved, they promise they have to commit everything, obey, they got to persevere in good works prior to believing in Christ, which basically teaches a works-based gospel. And we know that that is not compatible with grace and believing in Christ for salvation and by faith alone. And so that's what we talked about. We're talking about this again, part two. And let me just mention, Dr. Bing has an excellent work on this subject, Lordship Salvation. If you have not gotten this book, you need to get it. It's great. I'm halfway through it already. I'm still reading it, learning a lot about this subject. And this is a reformatted version of his doctrinal dissertation uh, that he wrote uh, when he was getting his PhD from Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, Dr. Bing, welcome back to Point of Defense. Thank you for coming back again uh, this week. Well, thank you for having me back. And I might mention that that book that you held up is my actual doctor, doctoral dissertation. That's, so okay. it's, it's, it, it is a good, it's good for Bible students and those who want to get deeper into the subject. But this summer I put out a, just a 50 page book, a short book on Lordship Salvation, much easier to digest, and introduce people to the subject. And you can find it on Amazon. All right. So we're talking about Lordship Salvation. And today I wanted to talk about a very important topic as well. Uh, it's one that's been very divisive. Uh, it's been very uh, confusing to a lot of people. And there's been a lot of deception, I think. And a lot of people have been misled. A lot of Christians have been misled on the subject. Uh, discipleship and salvation. A lot of people confuse those two. Uh, they think they're just one in the same, uh, that a disciple you know, is the same thing as a believer. Now, we know sometimes the word disciple can be used for a believer, but discipleship following Jesus uh, is, is completely something uh, different altogether. Jesus said, come unto me, salvation, come after me, follow me. And so, Dr. Bing, uh, we'll go ahead and talk about that. Uh, and as we get into this subject, talk about what, first of all, what is a disciple? How, do you, how would you define a disciple? It's very simple. The word disciple comes from the verb to learn. So a disciple is a learner or a student. We might consider it as someone like an apprentice who's learning from another. And in the first century context, a disciple was somebody who followed a master or a rabbi so that they could become like him. And that's so when Jesus invited people to follow him, when they, he invited those fishermen to follow him, he was saying, come and live with me and adopt my teachings. And after three years, uh, they did that. So it, it's a process. Um, discipleship is really a never-ending process. The word is also used in the Bible as for disciples of Moses, disciples of the Pharisees, um, and but mostly for the disciples of Jesus Christ. It means a follower or a learner. And it's used in a little bit of a broad sense, too. 
uh, mostly for the 12 disciples. We understand that. But it's used for others who followed him in a larger group. And even on one occasion, John 6, 66, it could be used for unbelievers who were just following him to learn what he was saying because Jesus says there, or John says there, that Jesus knew that some of them didn't believe. So in a very, very loose sense, they were following him uh, out of curiosity, not out of commitment. So in that case, we could say there were those unbelievers that followed him physically speaking, but they were not born again. They didn't had not trusted in Christ actually for everlasting life. Yeah. Uh, so when we're talking about this concept, this idea of following Jesus, what does it mean to really follow Jesus? Well, Jesus gives a number of different conditions for following him. Um, I probably won't think of them all, but uh, he says, for example, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, or truly my disciples. Now, there's one condition that separates just uh, those who are following physically from those who are really committed spiritually. If you abide or remain in my word, doesn't mean to believe in him. He's talking about those who continue uh, reading, studying, and living his word. He also says, we'll cover three conditions in Luke 9, 23, where he says, um, if you want to be my disciple, you must, and he's talking to his disciples, by the way. And the reason for that is because there's a sense in which a disciple can always be more of a disciple. We always are faced with new challenges that God gives us. And if, as long as we continue to follow his direction, we're disciples. But anyway, Luke 9, 23 says, um, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. In other words, say no to myself and say yes to God. You must take up your cross daily, which shows us he's not talking about salvation because he says daily. And taking up your cross is being willing to suffer for Jesus Christ. And then he says, and follow me. And of course, to follow me means to adopt his uh, life and teachings as your priority, um, to follow his directions, to live with him. And uh, that's his challenge. There are other conditions for discipleship mentioned. He says, unless you hate your father, mother, brother, and sister, uh, you can't be my disciple. And he says it a different way in another gospel. Uh, you must love me more than your father, mother, brother, and sister, and so forth. Um, what he's saying is not that you, you should hate people, but I have to be the number one relationship in your life if you're truly going to follow me. No man can have two masters. Uh, so we need to be willing to forsake everything, he also says in Luke uh, chapter 14. Um, so those are the conditions of discipleship, meaning that we're fully committed to him. He's the priority in our life. We're following his word. Uh, we're, we are um, learning from him constantly. It's not something that in it, that happens in an instant, but over a lifetime. And we continue. It's more of a journey than an event. Right. And so uh, in talking about salvation, that's a completely different uh, subject altogether there. Uh, so how would you tell someone what salvation is? We, we talked about what discipleship is. What is simple salvation? Yeah. Well, you know, that's. I just want to clarify things because when we talk about salvation, it's actually used in, in different ways in the Bible. So let's say eternal salvation. Yes. I think that's what you're asking about. Yeah, eternal, eternal. yeah, eternal salvation is when someone believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior for, from sin. And they believe that he will give them forgiveness, eternal salvation, eternal life justification, uh, whatever the context is and whatever they come to understand. But it's believing in Jesus Christ for eternal salvation, which is different from discipleship, which is following Jesus Christ in a fruitful life. You've probably heard this before. A lot of pastors in churches will stand up and give an altar call at the end of a sermon, end of a service, and they'll say, well, come follow Jesus. 
Now, the problem with that is what they're, they're getting it backwards. They should say, come unto Jesus, come receive eternal life, salvation through him, then follow him. So, but it seems this Lordship salvation does just that. They say, come follow him. Oh, then you got to believe in him. Well, you got to believe in him first. You have to come to him first before you can follow him. How can you follow him as a true believer and true disciple if you first don't know him? Yes, and there's good support for that in the scriptures. In the, if you were to study the Gospels, as I have, and look at that phrase, come to me, Jesus always uses it in an evangelistic context. In other yes. words, come to me as Savior. But when he uses the words, follow me or follow after me, or whoever wants to be my disciple, he's always talking either to people, inviting them to a life of discipleship, or to his disciples even, inviting them to a further, deeper commitment to follow him uh, in a life of discipleship. So there is a, a clear distinction in the Gospels between the terms come to me and come after me, the evangelistic invitation and the discipleship invitation. And if we, if we are telling people to come follow Jesus, and we say nothing about salvation, that I think would certainly cause people again to doubt their salvation because who can know if they're always 100% following everything that Jesus said, all of his commandments. You know, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, who keeps all the commandments? Yeah. It, it's um, that kind of, um, that kind of invitation to salvation is confusing on a couple levels. First of all, it add, it's basically adding works to the gospel. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him, obey his commands. Uh, so it's adding works to the gospel of grace. And grace, of course, means absolutely free, unconditional gift. And the second thing is it creates doubt, as you said, because nobody can be sure that they're following Jesus completely and totally. If he says you must deny yourself to be my disciple, well, you know, I don't always deny myself. Sometimes I go for that second serving of ice cream, or sometimes I maybe look too long at a pretty woman. I, you know, or, I or my deny, chicken. <laughs> I don't always deny myself and say no to myself and say yes to God. So it, it leaves all this ground for surrendering uh, uh, my assurance of salvation. Now, you mentioned something on your uh, website about how Lordship Salvation misses the mark for salvation. And I think that would probably fit into the context of what we're already talking about because the salvation is a free gift. And to simply choose by our own libertarian free will to say yes to receive Christ under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then how can we front load the gospel to try to promise we're going to do this and promise we're going to do that? Uh, that certainly misses the mark for salvation. It confuses discipleship and salvation. And I see it in so many churches, Dr. Bing, uh, especially from my background, Southern Baptist, a lot of Southern Baptist pastors get this wrong. And I'm wondering how many people in the, the these churches are actually truly born again and have really received everlasting life. Because if they're being told on one hand, I've got to follow Jesus and then I got to live perfect and I've got to give all this up and do all this other stuff and all these rules. Well, who can do that? <laughs> As you say, no, nobody can do it. I mean, I'm going to go for that extra fourth or fifth piece of fried chicken. I'm going to, I know I'm probably more likely going to sin. So I'm not following him 100%. There's going to be a lot of times I'm not because I'm not perfect, but I know I have eternal life. And so uh, a lot of people accuse uh, pastors of, well, you just think you can live any way you want to. And that's a straw man fallacy. We don't teach that. I've never taught that. You can, yeah, sure. By your, you can live any way you want to. There's consequences. But that's discipleship. That's not salvation. Would you agree with that also? I'm sure you probably would, but. 
Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the choices that we make after we're Christian, whether we're going to serve God or not, explained very clearly in Romans chapter 6 through 8. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, he answers the very question about, well, since I'm saved, Romans chapter 5 verse 20 ends by saying, where will we sin? Grace abounded even more. And so somebody who says, oh, if I sin, it brings more grace, then that means I can do whatever I want to. And Paul answers that very clearly in Romans chapter 6. No, you have a new master. You have a new power, you have a new position, and uh, there are consequences to sin. Um, and that's where the judgment seat of Christ comes in. We hurt ourselves, we hurt God, we hurt other people. So there are all kinds of consequences to, for Christians who sin, besides the fact that they're more miserable than non-Christians who sin. Christians who right. know, know the, to do uh, the right thing and don't do it are just miserable. And that's part of God's judgment uh, on those Christians who choose to sin. It's a... It's a dangerous view because it adds works to the gospel, as we said. It makes assurance impossible. And and I want to say this, it also makes assurance inaccessible to many people because many people don't know what the commitments are that Jesus asks of them. For example, in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, we have the, the story of Paul and Silas in prison in Philippi. And the prison guard, when there's an earthquake and they all run out, the prison guard asks Paul, what must I do to be saved? And the answer, of course, is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen. Now, mm -hmm. now some people interpret that Lordship salvation interpretation of that is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Make him master of your life and you will be saved. Commit yourself to him. Well, what would a pagan Roman soldier know about the commitments that Jesus Christ demands and, uh, and teaches? He wouldn't know anything. So it makes salvation inaccessible and asks them for a, a really a mature Christian decision of, a, of an unbeliever who hasn't had no exposure to Christianity and no knowledge of what Jesus teaches. So it's, it's, uh, it's a sanctification issue, not a justification issue. And that's the great difference between salvation and discipleship. Uh, you'll find in some of my writings um, a chart that contrasts uh, salvation justification with discipleship sanctification um, salvation is instant happens in a moment uh, discipleship is a lifetime process salvation is our birth into the family discipleship is our growth in the family salvation is where god uh, did all the work for us through jesus christ but discipleship is where we do work with christ for god um, Salvation is absolutely free. The Bible says discipleship is costly. And we could go on and on with the contrast, but it's very important to distinguish. They're related to each other, but we have to distinguish salvation from discipleship. And uh, doing exegesis, of course, is a uh, uh, key, I think, to interpreting any passage. As you know, you have to look at how the words are used, the context, uh, the author, the date, the purpose, the place, the style, the writing, those kind of things all go together in context. That's what one of my uh, seminary professors used to say, context, 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 and the greatest of these is context. And uh, that, I think it's very important. And it's so easy to take verses and eisegete them and just pull out a verse here. You cherry pick. You take a verse here, you take a verse there, and uh, these discipleship verses. And uh, I hear it all the time, and I just I cringe. I'm like, learn to do exegesis, please. <laughs> well, well, John, just let me say that that's why I wrote this book called Grace, Salvation, Discipleship. Which I have. <laughs> which uh, covers 130 verses that people often misinterpret and that confuses the gospel. So I take them and show how in the context, not what other commentators are saying, but in the context, how you can understand whether it's talking about a truth 
salvation truth, or B truth, discipleship, Christian life truth. Yes, I, I like that. The A and B truth. Very good. Um, let me ask you this. Now, what are some other problems that you see with this lordship salvation view? Some other things that we have not mentioned, you haven't mentioned at this point. Well, it 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 does not fully understand and appreciate God's grace. Uh, great God's grace is wonderful, and that's why we call it amazing grace. It's absolutely free and unconditional to us sinners. Um, but the lordship salvation view of making discipleship commitments part of the gospel are saying that grace isn't all that great. We have to add to it. We have to add to what Jesus did. It's a wonderful thought and mind-boggling thought that Jesus did everything for me and I can do nothing on my own. It's a humbling thing, but it's also an amazing thing that God would do that for me. And so it takes the amazement out of grace because it's saying that, no, you have to make a commitment. You have to deny yourself, etc. So it does that. But think also about how it affects how we share the gospel with others. So we have an unbeliever and we tell them, you know, you need to believe in Jesus to be saved. But that means also that you are denying yourself. You have to deny all your sins. You have to take up your cross and be willing to suffer and even die for him. You need to stay in his word and stay committed to it and, and read it and study it all the time. You need to uh, follow Jesus in every direction. You need to love him more than anybody else in your life. And, and then you can know that you're saved. Well, immediately that person's going to see the contradiction there is, how can I know that I've done all of those things? They, they can't know. So it weakens the presentation of the gospel. The best that we, they would be able to say is that you can hope that you're saved if you do all these things or think that you do all of these things. You can hope that you're saved. You know, the, uh, the Puritans the, in America used to have a phrase they called those who believed in Jesus and made professions of faith in him. They'd call them hopeful converts. They couldn't say with finality that they were saved because they wanted to examine their lives become fruit inspectors, I call them, to see if they have the fruits of eternal life. And only then, and at the end of their life, if they persevered, then they would uh, admit that they were believers, true believers in Christ. Um, <clears throat> so it, it really damages uh, how we present the gospel, what the gospel is, and, and does not fully understand grace. And another tragedy is that it takes a lot of the passages that talk about uh, deep issues of fellowship with God and just make some simple salvation passages. Uh, and the whole book of book of first John perhaps is not perhaps, but is interpreted incorrectly, I think as tests of salvation. So a person's supposed to read first John and say, am I loving my brother? Am I doing righteousness? And do I hate sin? If so, then I'm a believer. Uh, but that's not the purpose of first John. It's declared in the, uh, in verses, uh, uh, two and three of first John, that the purpose of the book was written, that, that the readers might have fellowship with God. Right. So those are tests of fellowship. And that whole deeper truth of fellowship with God is missed if we simply interpret it as tests of salvation. And so many passages lose their deeper meaning when we take that Lordship sal salvation view of, of the gospel, that discipleship is part of the gospel of right. salvation. Right. And then another thing too, I mean, I've heard people say, Christians say, well, that person was, you know, a drunkard. He goes out to the club on the weekend, he parties, whatever it may be. Um, and so that person's not saved, but they go to church on Sunday because they're not showing they live it. Well, I don't think we are anyone to judge that. Now we talked about sanctification and works and stuff like that. 
that is maybe more of a test for fellowship or maybe a test possibly for sanctification, but not justification. Because the way I understand the word of God is, you know, if you believe in Christ, if you've truly believed in Christ for salvation and everlasting life, that's all you have to do is believe in him. If I have to live a certain, now we are supposed to live, we should live holy and righteous, sure. But when we don't, it doesn't mean that, oh, not saved. It's, you know, uh, whereas the Calvinists say you were never saved, Arminians say you were saved and lost it. There's a third option in 1 Corinthians 3, the carnal Christian. Someone can still be a Christian and be carnal. Exactly. I, I don't think we are the ones that can um, set up this attitude. We should have this attitude. Well, pointing fingers, you're not saved, you're not saved, you're not saved. That's between God and the individual. If they've believed on Christ for salvation and done that, they're saved. Are they living like the devil? Well, maybe they are, maybe they're not. But God will chastise that person if they're really his. And they either will be, their lives will be taken physically or they'll suffer a great loss at the judgment seat. But uh, I don't think that we, it's on us to be able to point that finger at people with that kind of pharisaical attitude. What, what do you think? Well, exactly. And the, they get their, their ammunition from Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 23, where it says, by their fruits, you shall know them. And I've, I've gotten some papers on my website about that, that particular passage also in my books. But uh, Jesus was talking about how to identify false prophets, not Christians. Right. And, and he's, he's saying that uh, they look like sheep, which means to me that they, they act like Christians. So we can't be fruit inspectors. Uh, that's just a test for false prophets. And, um, uh, the only person that knows for sure that someone is saved is that person in God. Now it could be, and I always say the possibility is when we see a, someone that's called a Christian sinning, it's possible that they never understood in the gospel and they're not saved. Um, but we know that they, they can't lose their salvation. So they they either never believed or they're just Christians living in sin. And what's the answer to that? This is where Lordship Salvation comes in because they think the answer to that is the up the conditions at the entrance point. And if you make somebody truly committed, then they'll, they'll live the life. So, uh, uh, but our, our answer to that is, no, we need a deeper understanding of God's grace and grow in his love and understand how much he loves us. And when we're motivated by his love and grace, we'll return that love and the Bible says that we return that love by keeping his commandments and living a godly life. So there's a different orientation. One leads to legalism where we examine the outward works of someone. The other one looks at the heart and the motivation of loving God. And, um, and that's where I, I come down. I, I think we should be motivated by the love and the grace of God, not by our uh, outward appearance. Right, right. And it seems like it's so prominent in today's churches people like to point the finger and make those kind of judgments without even looking at themselves first uh to perhaps see that maybe there's some things in their lives that's not exactly right either uh, yeah and so it, I, it makes us all hypocrites when we go to that kind of a church you hear that kind right. of preaching it makes right. us all hypocrites we all carry the right bible we all dress the right way we all say the right things but it doesn't deal with the issues of the heart right right now talk just for a minute about free grace theology. We have a few minutes. What is free grace theology? Because you come from the free grace movement, which I now subscribe to. Thank you very much. Uh, talk about that just for a little bit, briefly. Well, um, the short answer is I have a grace notes on my website that says what is what is free grace theology and answer it there. But it starts with the proper understanding of grace. It's absolutely free. And when you go from there, if it's absolutely free, then there's nothing that you can do to earn it. So it's by faith alone 
in Jesus Christ and his death, his resurrection, his provision of salvation for us. So the free grace theology says that it's by faith alone. There's no other conditions for salvation. It also believes that Christians will be held accountable for their actions at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the teaching, the judgment seat of Christ that is neglected in many places. But if we, we have to have that understanding to know that God will hold us responsible and accountable for our actions. So basically free grace theology is simply the belief that that grace is absolutely free. There's nothing we can do to earn or keep our salvation. If we can't earn it by works, we can't lose it by works either. So it addresses uh, both the Calvinistic side and the Arminian side. It's more of a, a biblical center, I believe. I believe I don't call myself a Calvinist or Arminian. I call myself a biblicist. We take the scriptures seriously. We understand the difference between law and grace, and um, we interpret the gospel through the eyes of God's love and God's grace. And the very simple condition, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Of course, there's many other, th many other things spring from that, but that you said for a short right. definition. And of course, there's distinctions between the uh, rapture and second coming, dispensationalism. Uh, there's a distinguishment between the great white throne and the judgment seat. A lot of distinguishing um, uh, things in the scriptures that, that normally a lot of people just lump together. Uh, like salvation, like discipleship, and those kind of things. So I think that's very important as well. Uh, so, yeah. So this has been great, Dr. Bing. Uh, let me put your information up here. If anyone wants to get in touch with Dr. Bing and you want to learn more about him, he has an awesome website. It's called gracelife.org. There it is for you at the bottom of the screen. And his email is cc. Uh, bgracer at aol.com if you'd like to email Dr. Bing, ask him a question, and uh, pick up this book. If you have not bought it yet, buy it. Go online, Amazon, you can get the book. Now, you can order the book from your website as well, correct? Yes, you can. Actually, it's on the website absolutely free in digital form. So you can read correct. it online on the website. Awesome. And uh, you have some other books out too as well. The one you just held up there on grace, discipleship, and salvation is a good one. Um, you want to pick that one up. And uh, there's some other great resources uh, that are on there too. And the grace notes are really helpful. And uh, people are free to use those, I guess, at their leisure if they want to teach or they want to uh, use to, for those to preach or whatever their personal studies uh, so it's a great website to uh, get discipled and learn more about what grace really is, because it is what the scriptures teach, that you trust Jesus Christ and you believe in him for everlasting life. All right, Dr. Bing, thank you so much for, for coming on uh, today and uh, for being a part of this two-week series. I hope you'll come back again and uh, share some more. There's a lot more, of course, we could say, but we don't have time uh, here in this 28-minute uh, session, but uh, we will certainly uh, hopefully be able to get to meet and do this again. This has been great, uh, so uh, thank you so much for coming, and I uh, pray the Lord will bless you. Get in touch with Dr. Bing. Find out more about him and the free grace uh, movement because it uh, certainly is biblical and it is accurate compared to a lot of other systematic theologies out there today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, uh, Dr. Thank Bing. Thank you, John. I will see you, yes, you, on the next video. Thank you, and God bless you. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for watching. Support this ministry through PayPal on our YouTube page. See you on the next show. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website 
at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.